You're listening to the Truth in Cannabis podcast brought to you by Farm True. For links to all our episodes and more cannabis content, visit www.farmtrue.care. As always, please subscribe and share if you enjoy this episode. Alrighty, how are you guys doing? Um, this is Joaquin Acosta here with the Truth in Cannabis podcast coming to you um, in 2021. It's been a little over a year since we've had our last podcast. Um, we're coming to you with exciting news. The state of New Mexico has now legalized recreational marijuana for all practical purposes. And um, we're actually going to be hosting the Southern New Mexico Cannabis Cultivation Conference down here in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We're really excited about it. Um, we've got a bunch of speakers lined up from regulators to growers and other knowledgeable individuals. Um, today, we actually are fortunate to have a speaker with us down here in Las Cruces. Um, her name is Miss Rebecca Deans from The Office Alchemist. And um, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got here today. Okay, thanks, Joaquin. I... So the Office Alchemist is talent management and employee well-being, and I help cannabis companies set up training and employee development programs in their workplace that's designed specifically to their mission statement, to their particular business. And when you have uh, training, consistent training and employee development, that in the overall kind of creates your company culture. And your company culture is kind of like the vibe it's that your family has, uh, how people behave in the workplace, how you all interact together, kind of the, I like to call it the internal guidance system of your company. And so. I mean, coming from a, a company ourselves, we can definitely see how it's easy to overshadow some of the aspects of what you just discussed in terms of culture development and some of the aspects of being consistent and being able to have actual manageable processes within that sort of development in your own company and your own cultures and your own business. Um, I mean, probably even breaks down to the life organizational skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, so where did you start um, kind of learning this? How did you initially see it in the first place, kind of this need and um, this niche? Good question. Uh, It was actually 25 years ago. I was a wilderness guide in my 20s and I would take, it it was called Brat Camp and it was these wealthy teenagers whose parents didn't kind of hit their wits end with them. Um, And so they would send them to these wilderness camps in Utah and they would end up with me. We'd have a pack of 12 kids all of them deemed by their parents as being unmanageable. Um, and I would help guide them through the wilderness for 30 days. And what I found is one mother nature always does her thing. I kept them safe. I was there to listen to them, but mother nature really did the healing by taking them out of society away from their, their comfort, comfort zones, but also their family dynamics really allowed these kids to just find out who they were again, play, be kids again. I mean, these were kids who had Lexuses and their own American Express cards and, you know, vacationed all over the world. And their parents were like, they're, they're spoiled and, you know, we can't fix them. But Mother Nature just taught them how to play again. But 
back to your original question, what I found was a common theme for the 10 years I was in the industry. The common thing among all those kids was that their parents were always at work. When their parents weren't at work, they were complaining about work or they were stressed about work. So that's when I really started thinking like the workplace is where we spend so much of our time and it really needs to be a healthy place. Um, at the end of my career, I ended up evolving into working with adults with drug addiction in the wilderness. So we, we took drug addict or sorry, I don't mean to use that term adults who were suffering from heroin addiction into a wilderness program for 28 days. Now these weren't street people. These were like stockbrokers, professional football players. Um, and I found that common theme again, only this time they were saying, I gave my life to my employer. Uh, I lost my wife and my kids because I was always at work for my employer. And so I really, that's when the seed was planted for me that the workplace needs to be healthy because if you're, if you have a stressful work environment, those employees are going to take that stress home to their families. So that's it. The idea started 25 years ago. Um, the cannabis industry was when it really came out of me. Um, it's a new industry. It's a good industry. It's healing. It's healthy. It's coming from a background of family farms, you know, in the traditional market, you had to have a tight knit family on a farm because you were hiding, you know, what you were doing and you needed to trust those people. So it, I really want to keep that grassroots feel in the industry as it becomes bigger. And um, I also don't want these young people who are working in the industry to feel like they work, you know, part of, I don't want them to feel like they're part of the drug culture. I want them to realize, wow, I'm a professional. I can build a family on this um, career. I can own my own company someday. I really want to empower the cannabis employees to let them know that um, what they're doing is good. And Sorry, sorry. Okay. And so bringing that, so you come from, you know, humble Cal County, California, from what I understand before the podcast, mm -hmm. and you come from an industry where you've seen um, the traditional and or, you know, black market cannabis operations, as you kind of related to, mm -hmm. and you've also seen now and, and been a part of, you know, the actual kind of more modernized developed workplace where the cannabis industry is starting to take place you got to see it happen and start in california that's about to start happening here in new mexico so mm -hmm. it's a whole industry where you know even just that the development in general is very very new everybody a lot of people who are setting up cannabis businesses in new mexico in general probably have never ran a business before in their life mm -hmm. and so when you even go from you know, looking at the things you're talking about because you've seen the back end reactive struggles um, from mm -hmm. families, from employees, from employers, and you've seen these ripple effects. That's where your you know consultations and your mm -hmm. your foresight and your insight comes into play. And please, just yeah, I mean, relate that to you know what you've seen in that in that growing process in a in a cannabis company. Um, maybe from what you've seen and, and the burnout, like, I mean, avoiding burnout, like talking about kind of just that general scope of, of the workplace and what somebody might have to anticipate um, 
having a cannabis job for the first time in their life mm -hmm. or, or employing a cannabis employee for the first time in their life. Kind of a lot of segments there, but that's kind of yeah, what yeah. So, so in Humboldt County, one I want to um, clarify that I did not grow up in Humboldt County. I began working at a farm there in 2012, and I was grandfathered into a a farm that was based on a family, three brothers, and then their you know their wives and family, um, and they had been operating in the traditional market for 10, 15, maybe 20 years. I can't remember, but they brought me in um, and, it, and it was beautiful. The whole vibe of the farm was prosperity for everyone. It wasn't just the growers got, you know, got all the money. It was if you were a farmhand, if you were a trimmer, whatever avenue, like they wanted us all to have big wads of cash being like, isn't life great? They were just such a beautiful family, um, you know, two valleys over there was a not good farm where it was just all about the growers making the money. And, um, but I won't get into that, but what I did see in Humboldt County is it became legal. Um, there's a term that we say fly, uh, building the plane while you're flying it is what they kind of termed the, the insanity of the legalization process in in California because things were changing so quickly. Um, you know, you'd start the business and then regulations would change. Um, and so I know that any person that starts a business, I've had it myself, that feeling when you're sitting there and you have that inspiration that I'm going to do it, I'm going to start my business. And you get that whole full body, like hum, you know, being like, I'm going to start my own business. And then of course you start thinking, and then I'll hire people and I'll give people jobs. And, you know, you just get that big love bomb in your whole Very body. Like, yes. Yes. And it's true. And then the reality kicks in, right. you know? Um, and the employees are always there because they're excited for you and your vision. As the business owner, you you sell it, right? You're like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this. And the employees, they, they hop on board because one, they're there for the paycheck, but two, it's because they believe in the company too. Um, and then when things get going so fast, as this industry does, things get fragmented. The employees get miscommunication because the owners things are changing so fast they don't have time to come back and see if the systems they put in place are really producing the way they want them to so you know that's where you hire a human resource person or a payroll person or managers you promote a manager from being an employee but they don't have the emotional intelligence to handle employees emotions they don't have um leadership skills uh, so maybe out of fear of failure, they become a micromanager and they start stressing out all your employees, but it's, you know, it's because they want to perform well, but they just don't have the, the personal skills to monitor themselves. That's what emotional intelligence is, is knowing thyself, knowing that when I get frustrated, I'm going to behave this way instead of just being frustrated and taking it out on your whole crew. You know, you, the managers really need to have more than just you're promoted. Good job. Here's a pay raise. Now see you at the next manager meeting. And that's what I see the most is that managers are promoted and there's no one there to keep training them. They're just kind of promoted and then they just have to do their best.
And when then, and they only get attention when something really bad goes wrong or when something really big needs to be trained, but they don't really have that consistent support from someone that they feel like they can say, I'm really frustrated today, or I'm really excited today, or I don't know how to do this. You know, they'll often just fake it to make it and, and that's okay. But in the long run, you're leaking money as a company. Um, and where you implement solutions and where, like, how are, where are you kind of intersecting? Good, good question. So there's three phases of keeping an employee engaged at work. It's the intrinsic value theory and they want to, to keep an employee happy. One, they want to be capable. Two, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And three, they want autonomy. So to be capable, that comes from training. If you train them to how to do something right, they're going to go in, they're going to do a good job and they're going to feel good about themselves. If you give them a standard operating procedure that isn't updated and so they don't learn how to do it correctly, or they have their learning on the job training and the employee that teaches them how to do it doesn't quite do it right they never feel 100% confident in how to do their skill. So that brings in some other things. That's either and when you're building the plane as you're flying it, it's very hard to, you know, develop some sort of super good program where somebody else can come in and learn as you're building the program as you're doing it. Absolutely. So, uh, just right. interjecting. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, that's the theory. That's what, that's the myth. Now my business, what I do is I've created a system and it's about being in front of everything. The training program, consistent training program, um, consistent, meaning not just, oh, you got hired, you've read the employee handbook, you've read the SOP, now go do your job. It's every week this person's getting trained on something new, which sounds insane, but there's this method called micro learning and that's what I use and that's what I teach businesses to use. It's actually a really valuable method and it's five minute, I call it microdosing, five minute microdoses of training. You teach them one concept at a time, not 10 concepts. You teach them one. For instance, I use open source um, content on the internet. You go to YouTube, you type in conflict management, you put on a filter of five minutes, you get all these videos of that are less than five minutes that teach you one easy concept on how to diffuse conflict. Now, is it the cure-all? No, but it's something that that week you can send to your employee, they can read it or watch it in five minutes and all of a sudden they have a skill. Now, if they choose not to use it, that's okay, but they have an option. And so as a manager, if you teach that employee, you watch that video, you send it to the employee, you now have something to converse about. You know, you've been having a hard time with with your other coworker, did you try that? Well, no, I didn't. Well, why not? It's an option. It gives you a conversation to have, or, oh yes, I did try it and it worked. Great, okay. But it's a way for you to continuously train your employees with very little effort. Training is often, when you think about training, you usually have to go into a room for an hour. That person um, lose, you know, they're not working during that hour. So if you're paying them $16 an hour, they're not working, which means someone else has to cover their, what they're doing. Um, right. 
if it happens to be elsewhere, you have to pay them to drive to that. So training takes on this huge misnomer that it has to be really in depth. It has to be really long. And because of that, it's just too much effort to do it. So micro learning is just this quick way to constantly keep your employees peppered with new information. So the system that I help put in place, there's two options. I help people put them in place or they hire me to just do it for them. Um, it's about setting up a year in advance these micro trainings. Um, one is, yeah. So it's setting, it, setting up this system, putting it in place, making it super easy so that you don't have to think much about it. Your phone dings and reminds you, send out that YouTube video or that Udemy, you know, Udemy, Udemy, I don't know which one it is, um, or read, you know, this blog post to the cool employees. That's a, that's a really cool sell. But what is it? Uh, what do they say? A TLDR? Or I don't know what that, exactly what, what that acronym means. TLDR. But um, yeah. Too long, didn't read. Yes, too long didn't read. Yes. And so I read like little TLDR stuff because it's nice to just be able to, you know, get your get your bite and then you're good. Yeah. And it actually sticks in your cognitive cognitive memory easier when it's short. Um, that's why blog posts are usually 800 words or less because you want to read it quickly. You want to get the information and you want to move on. And that's our that's the state of our world nowadays. So um, with training, it's really that businesses don't know what to train. They don't know how to train. And I come in and I help set it up in the beginning so that you're not ever wondering, like, what should we train? You may, yeah, it's already there. Very cool. No, yeah, that's, I, I make mean, it easy. For our business, that's something, uh, yeah, let's talk after. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's very cool. I, I, I mean, I don't know how many other, you know, owner operators in, in the cannabis industry and, you know, pretty much any other industry in general that you could probably relate to seeing struggles and all of that stuff that we just talked about. I mean, granted, if you want to, um, you know, put it through the lens of um, your employees who might be, you know, making edibles or rolling joints or, you know, trimming or greenhouse management or whatever it may be to retail sales and customer service. Um, these are all these processes where, you know, people can face their, their challenges in the workplace and, and creating a good culture and a good system for, for all your employees kind of to be obviously beating the same drum. Like if you have someone maybe in the, I mean, if you're fortunate to have a, a vertically integrated business and you've got someone in the greenhouse who can kind of be on weirdly aligned on the same mission as your, your bud tenders out there in the store, even though, you know, you're creating that culture, that would be a really special thing for a company to be working towards because you know that power of the synergy and people being aligned together. And mm -hmm. when they're motivated and enjoy what they do, gosh, like that's a beautiful yeah. system to be able to create. So that's cool that you can actually come in there, identify that, and you're looking for that because most people are ignoring it or having struggles trying to reflect on how to do that in the first place. You know what I mean? Like right. it's a lot. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you have that training piece, one, it gives the employee something to talk about, uh, whether they like the training, whether they didn't like the training, it gives them a topic of conversation that's not drama. 
right? Employees, especially in the mundane jobs of rolling joints, no offense, I don't mean to say that that's a mundane job, but that's my experience is that manufacturing, it's hard to keep employees because when you have people who are, have active minds and aspirations for them to roll joints every day, it's kind of like, they feel like, you know, they're, they get bored. Am I capped? Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then it creates that culture of your employees saying, wow, I'm learning all these things at work. I'm always learning something new. And maybe that conflict resolution video falls flat at work for one person that's like, I don't need this, but they go home to their family and all of a sudden they see their parents arguing or their roommates and, and all of a sudden they're like, actually, I can use this. I just learned this information at work. And it, so it trickles down to the family. Um, the second part of what I do is I really, I, I help them set up employee development plans, which is when you hire an employee, you know, you often hire them for a certain position and that's it. Um, and then from watching them perform, you're like, okay, well, maybe they, you know, maybe we can move them up here. An employee development plan is a proactive conversation with the employee of what their aspirations are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what they want to do with their life, um, how they want to be confronted, how they want to be celebrated. You, you really dive into the individual instead of just that common term of employee. This is an employee. No, this is Joaquin. Who is Joaquin? And what, you know, I see you as an individual. And by spending that half an hour, one, it comes with a series of questionnaires that they fill out on their own, but then you meet with them for that half hour and really create this employee development plan together with them. So it's a half an hour and it makes them feel seen. It makes them feel heard. It keeps them inspired and it gives you a roadmap to who they are. So you know how to interact with them. You know um, what they're aspiring to do. And it's just something that the newer generations in the workplace are, they're kind of used to that, you know, in their digital native of kind of always having a pulse on them. Um, And so why not do it in the workplace? Because the employer benefits from it. Yeah. You don't want to feel like a number as an employee and Mm -hmm. as an employer, you don't want to make your people just feel like a number. Right. And that results in employee well-being, which is huge. COVID really spotlighted that with everybody kind of shutting down and then having to choose, do I go to work and potentially come home and contaminate my family? You know, maybe they had an elderly um, parent or grandparent living with them. Like it really made the workplace and the employee have to choose like my employer or my family. And I don't think that momentum's going to go away. I mean, we're kind of seeing it now where they're struggling to get people to come back to work. And sure, people want to put a monetary price on things, but it, intrinsically, it's them deciding, you know, do I go to work and then I stress out, you know, if I if my grandmother gets COVID, am I the one that brought it home to her? So it, not to get too far off into that, but for what I do, it really helps when an employee feels like they're capable, like they're part of something bigger than themselves, when they feel like they have autonomy, 
they're going to enjoy going to work every day. They're going to come because they want your company to succeed because that is a reflection of a bigger part of themselves. Uh, if you train them right, they're going to feel capable. If you develop them right, you're going to trust them and give them that autonomy that, you know, I trust you. I'm going to let you do this project today. If you mess up, let's talk about it, but I trust you. And then they're going to do their best and make sure not to mess up. But if they mess up, you know, you learn from it, but they're going to feel fulfilled, not just by the paycheck but by their whole experience. And when that person feels fulfilled at work, when they go home at night, they're going to have a different vibe with their family. They're going to be happy. They're going to be inspired. They're going to be calm. And that's really the essence of the office alchemy is when people in the workplace feel, have good, when they, when they feel good at work, they're going to go home and feel good with their families. And then they're going to feel good in their communities. And it's sure. just a way to help make the world a better place. But the business owner is also going to have a highly functioning employee that's always going to be looking on the leading edge to keep the business going, you know. And your people can be your biggest ROI. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, as a business. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you can have the best product, you can have the best customers, but if you don't have good employees, it's going to fall flat. So it's really with office alchemy. I call it myself the office alchemist because I see the gold in every single human being. And because I'm not HR, um, I don't work for the company. The company hires me to come in and, and, bring the gold out of their employees in a sense. I say I'm turning employees into top talent. Um, you know, the thing about HR, a lot of small businesses can't afford to have an HR company. And if they do, then that HR person's usually busy with cannabis compliance, payroll, and all the paperwork that comes from being an HR person. They don't have the time and, and mindset to handle each employee as an individual. Um, that's starting to change in HR, but if you're an old, if you've been in the HR industry, it's, it's hard to change that mindset. The HR in general sees that they need to start changing their ways because the newer generations are not tolerating what the older generations used to in the workplace. I mean, I come from, I'm a Gen Xer and I was taught like, you come in, you shut up, you work your way to recognition, and then you climb the ladder. And when I talk to these newer generations, you know, in a gist, I say, you know, you, you have to, you have to be trusted before you can move up. And they said, why would I ever work for a company that didn't trust me in the first place? And I'm like, Ooh, that's true. That's true. I mean, as ridiculous as some people, I can feel people out no, there no, rolling no. their eyes being like, ah, <laughs> but it's true, you know? Um, so it's easy, easy, easy to give hard to, or easy to give, easy to lose, hard to get back. Right. Trust her. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So in the gist of it, my systems that I teach businesses are easy. 
they're short, they're easy. I call it kiss. Kiss used to be like, keep it simple, stupid. I changed it to say kiss means keep it short and sweet. The micro learning, um, it's all about consistency and, um, you know, whenever I meet with a business owner and I teach and I show them everything I do, they always get inspired and say, well, I can do this. And I'm like, I know you can, you all know how to do all of this stuff. And then they say, I just don't have the time. Right. And I say, I know I do though. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. cool. That's a powerful, that's yeah. a powerful thing. All right, Rebecca. And as we sit here now, um, kind of segueing into into the present and taking it more into the future, um, I, I want to ask how what do you anticipate here for, you know, not only New Mexico, as you see it kind of adopt a new industry um, and how you've seen the new the states transition over, but kind of even as to what you think about cannabis as a whole, as you know, it possibly might get decriminalized, descheduled here federally and you know, possibly get adopted and legalized federally. So mm -hmm. just kind of seeing what you see in terms of the industry where kind of, you know, that black traditional market might be moving and what that might mean for everything, you know? That's a tricky question, Joaquin, uh, mainly because I, I really try to just not get my hopes up. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. And that's really the wave I've watched in California, in Humboldt County. I mean, those are, um, those are farmers that, I mean, they were born and raised on these cannabis farms and they're really getting just devastated. So it's hard, you know, I, I watch them get their hopes up and then just crashed. And, and so I myself just try and keep it even kill I do what, explain it though. The, what, what do you mean by get their hopes up and crash? You mean taxes, you mean taxes, uh, track and trace, <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Um, the labs, you know, the, the having to get everything tested and having, you know, the fires come in and, and the debris that falls from the smoke lands on your plants. All of a sudden you, your whole crop is, ruined um someone driving down the road a dirty road a dusty road and with an oil leak and that dust getting kicked up in the air and landing on your plant i mean it's just it's relentless it really is and it's unpredictable and there doesn't seem to be i'll, I'll say that there doesn't seem to be any grace for these cannabis farmers but it's good that you're saying it because people need to understand you know with the high hopes and the optimism, there's it's there's something waiting at the other end just to have a nice ripe piece of fruit and take their bite. Yeah. And we're fighting prohibition. Right. You know, this is revolutionary. And that's really like if you're getting into the cannabis industry, you know, you're coming into a fight. You're coming in. I don't want to use I don't like to use the word war because I don't like to instigate that fighting mentality. You're just you're. I don't know what you'd call it then. <laughs> yeah, it's an uphill, it's but, very uphill slope. Yeah, for sure. it, it's an uphill slope. But on the other side of it, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, who knows? I do believe one day it will be federally legal. Um, it's just... What do you think it means for the economy of cannabis in general and, uh, and lifestyle and life as we know it? I mean, where do you see that? Life, like cannabis, in, cannabis in your Walmart. 
um, walking out, shopping for it. Yeah. You know, something that you just don't even, you don't even think about. 21 yeah. and up. Right. Uh, I like to try and stay optimistic. Well, you know what? I keep, I keep my mindset in the medicinal part of it because recreationally you got, you know, you got people, it's, it's like alcohol. You have your people who can enjoy some drinks and have fun. And then you have people who become alcoholics and ruin their lives and, and other people's lives. And that's all by individual choice, not by the actual product. Right. Sure. So, but when I look at medicinal and the fact that Parkinson's patients are getting, you know, wellness, um, you know, I just watched this podcast on, or a webinar on, um, schizophrenia and CBD. And I mean, these people's lives are being changed with this natural plant after years of, um, pharmaceuticals. So the medicinal is where I keep my heart and mindset because that is changing the world. That is healing people um, and, and the planet, you know, in the sense we were talking earlier about textiles and hempocrete and how we can build houses that are breathable and, and toxic mold can go away. I mean, the plant itself is just such a gift to the world. So that's, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I can't really get into the nitty gritty because oh, no, otherwise it can overwhelm me. So I really cool stay in a big higher picture to think about just in general, kind of where mm -hmm. the industry and everything is going to possibly end up. But it's, it's yeah. crazy to see because you can see a mature market in California and people in New Mexico really have no idea of the struggle there. And mm -hmm. I mean, you can have an awareness that stuff is weird, but then to see it, to live it, to be there and, you know, yeah. the heart of cannabis na cannabis nation in the united states and see this see the struggle the hypocrisy the irony there's so much you know it's a plant you know and not to i don't know i'll just say it you can delete it if you want but bill hicks was a comedian back in the the day and he said um making cannabis illegal is like saying god made a mistake you know it's a natural plant it right. wasn't you know manufactured it's it's part of nature and it has a huge healing property and it's being recognized and it's being bastardized. And that's just, a, that's just a vibrational frequency that I try and stay away from because it, it's overwhelming and it can make you drop out of the game. You know, I, I stay with, I stay connected to the mission of my business of, you know, wanting to help the families and the communities. We spend more time at work than we do with our families. And if we are in a unorganized, super stressed environment, it's not good for our health and it definitely radiates into the other parts of our life. Now, the good news is when you create a workspace that's balanced and organized and you have this culture of communication versus blame and shame and hierarchy and greed, the business makes more money because yeah. the employees work together in collaboration. They're not throwing each other under the bus. They're stepping up saying, I did it and I did it wrong. And I thought it was right at the time. And I just flat out screwed up. And you're like, wow, thanks for the honesty. Cool. Let's move on. Um, when you can really create a workspace and there's plenty of places that do that already. Um, Amazon, Google, Facebook. I mean, to say those words, you know, they come with their own stigma, but the inner workings, they have these, these, it's called talent management. 
it's a part of HR that these big Fortune 500 companies can afford. Um, that's not offered to these smaller businesses because they're always kind of just trying to make payroll. Right. But with my services, I make it so easy and it's really about being proactive. It's about sitting down and spending that time to flesh it out and then maintaining it. And what I've done is I've created these simple systems and then I coach you through it. So I sit with you, right? It takes 21 days to change a habit is what they say. So I don't just give it to you. We create it and walk away. I'm holding your hand because you're going to be excited in the beginning, but then you're going to get complacent. You're going to want to weasel out of keeping it. I won't let you. I'm graciously tenacious. Uh, I'm a very, I can lovingly hold you accountable. I can deliver the truth to you in a way. I always say people love me and then they hate me, but they always love me again (laughs) because my heart is true and I speak the language that they know. And unfortunately in corporations and in business, when money gets tight, when you get stressed, you know, you forget all that good feeling you had in the beginning when you started your business thinking this is awesome and I'm going to be such a great employer and my employees are going to be so happy. You forget that we do that in life too at home. You know, when you're feeling good, you give good vibes. When you're not feeling good, you don't give good vibes. And, um, and I just, I, I have the skills to come in and teach you how it's a one. People don't know how to say the truth, right? right? It's, we don't teach that in school. And unless you go to a specialized school to learn communications, which I did, that was my college degree was interpersonal communication. Um, And really what it comes down to is just, it's the way you speak the truth. It's the energy behind it. You know, are you there to, I always ask people, how do you want the other person to feel? And the truth is they want them to feel bad. (laughs) I want them to know they screwed up. I want to know that I want them to know that they cost me money. I want them to know that their job is on the line. But the truth is that's, no, they just want them to not do it again. You know, take away all that emotion and just state the facts. And, and the person can hear facts. You know, they know they screwed up. They just don't need all the, the, the negative energy behind it. Um, and so it's really the thing about the future of cannabis. It's such a powerful plant, such a good thing for the human race. I just really want the workplaces to model that as well, because the cannabis industry could become a new model of business that the rest of the world will be like, wait a minute, all their employees are happy and it's not because they're high. (laughs) They're really happy and they're professional and they're smart and their children are awesome and their communities are awesome. Wow. All that from the cannabis industry. That would be cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's my plan. And it's alchemy. You know, I use alchemy because it's turning base metal into gold. It's a, you know, it's a process and sure it's mystical, but it's also, you know, possible. So to our listeners and um, anybody that you might know, um, how would we best contact you? We can go ahead and put email and website link in the show notes here. Um, Thank you. Any other yeah, particular they, ways to find you? Um, you can just go to my website, officealchemist.com. Uh, I do have a Facebook page and I do have a YouTube channel 
where you can go and there's uh, videos on there, not mine. I use, you know, the world's videos. But if you're looking to start some micro learning in your workplace, you can go to the Office Alchemist YouTube channel and there's different categories from conflict resolution to employee well-being to how to have how to hold employees accountable, time management, leadership, um, and it's yours for free. So cool. go check it out. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, nice to talk to you guys again here in 2021. We're really excited again for our convention, the Southern New Mexico Cannabis Cultivation Convention. Ms. Rebecca, again, will be speaking here at the convention or the conference. We do have um, other speakers from regulatory um, New Mexico regulation and licensing department. We have the superintendent, Ms. Linda Trujillo, the division director of the New Mexico Department of Agriculture, Mr. Brad Lewis. Um, we've got some great research being presented. It's going to be a good conference. Um, please just go ahead and tell your friends, get some tickets. If not, I hope you learned something and hope um, you can bring some of this back to your workplace. And please contact Rebecca for more. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you.